So today we are wrapping up a sermon series that we have been in for eight weeks where we've looked at the gospel of John and specifically the seven signs and miracles that Jesus does in this gospel. We've talked about how it serves as a handrail for the gospel writer to try and reveal to us who Jesus is and what Jesus has come to do. So this week, we're looking at the seventh and final sign that we find in chapter 11 of John's gospel, which is right smack dab in the middle of the gospel, where Jesus raises a man from the dead, a man named Lazarus. So over the course of this series, we've seen Jesus do all sorts of stuff. We've seen him heal people. We've seen him walk on water. We've seen him turn water into wine. We've seen him feed folks with stuff that surely wasn't adequate enough to feed all of the people that were there. And now we get, get to the pinnacle. We get, we get to the climax of all of these miracles that Jesus has done with him raising a man from death to life. And I'll be totally honest with you, this was one of those weeks where I considered scrapping my sermon about halfway through the week because of everything that's going on in the world. And I decided to stay the course Because I really, really think that the hope that we find in this story is a hope that we need today, especially in the midst of of what's been going on and and where we find ourselves as a world and as, as a community. So just like last week, we find ourselves with, with a really long passage of Scripture. This story of Lazarus being raised from the dead is 44 verses long. It's long. It's like almost all of chapter 11. And it's a rich story. But obviously, we can't read all 44 verses today here in church. And I can't preach on all 44 verses either. So here, here's what we're going to do. Here's my plan. We're going to start off with just kind of a 30,000-foot view of this story, and we're just going to have an overview of what happens, just the trajectory of the story. And after that, we're going to zero in on one specific part of this narrative that I think we need to focus on this morning that that I think is really going to set us up well to, to capture the hope that's at the end of the story and also propel us into the season of Lent that starts on Wednesday that's just around the corner. So does that sound good to y'all? So every week, every month, I preach one time at a nursing home. And I say that after every like intro that I just gave to y'all. I say, is that okay with y'all? And they all laugh and they're like, yeah, it's okay with us. And then I say the same joke every time. And I think it's because they can't remember it. It crushes every time, right? So I say, is that good with y'all? And they all nod their heads and say yes. And I'm like, well, that's good because if it wasn't, I'd be on my way out. And they just bust out laughing. It crushes Every single, if you want to boost your ego, go spend some time with folks that can't remember your jokes and you just get to hone it and hone it and hone it. There's nothing like watching a woman fall asleep while you preach. And then afterwards, when you're standing in the back, she tells you it's the best sermon she's ever heard. There is nothing like it. Nothing like it. Okay. (laughs) So because it's so long, I want you to grab your pew Bibles. I asked you to do that last week. I'm going to ask you to do it again this week, just so you can see it, because I don't want you to get lost in the story. So open up to page 104. It's going to be the second round of page numbers in the New Testament, so towards the back of the Bible, page 104. And it should put you right on John chapter 11. So I'm just going to give an overview. You can read as much or as little bit as you would like, but I want you to see what I'm talking about, how much space this story covers in the gospel. So at the very beginning, we see that an urgent message comes to Jesus from the sisters of Lazarus, Mary 
and Martha, telling Jesus that the one whom he loves, Lazarus, is ill in Bethany. And he needs Jesus. He needs Jesus desperately. But by the time Jesus actually leaves to head towards Bethany, Lazarus has already died. So then after that, after Jesus has made his way close to the outskirts of Jerusalem, we have this conversation between Jesus and Martha, one of Lazarus's sisters, because she goes out to meet Jesus when she hears that he's close because she just can't wait for him to to get there. And that's the part of the story that I'm going to call us back to in just a moment that I want us to really focus on. But we get this great conversation between the two of them. And then after talking with Jesus, Martha goes to get her sister Mary and bring her to where Jesus is on the outskirts of town. And then a bunch of people hear that that's where they're going and that Jesus is there. So all these people follow them to this place where Jesus is. And and that's where we end up with that line that, that Jesus wept, right? The shortest verse in all of scripture. We have all these people that come out to see Jesus and they're all weeping. And then Jesus sees their grief and sees their sadness and he too begins to weep. It's in the midst of that weeping that Jesus says, well, where is Lazarus laid? Where's, where's the tomb? So the next thing we know, Jesus is at the, at the tomb, which is a cave, and it has a big stone rolled up against it. And Jesus asked them to remove the stone. And they're like, are you sure, Jesus? Because it's been four days and the body is starting to, to smell. And Jesus is like, yeah, I'm sure. Remove, remove the stone. And they remove the stone. And then Jesus cries, Lazarus, come out. You know the story. Lazarus, come out. And what happens? He comes out. He comes out with his hands and his feet still still bound up and his face still wrapped in the cloth. And Jesus says, unbind him and let him go. What a story, right? I mean, can you think of a better way for the seven signs and miracles to be capped off in the gospel of John than with Jesus raising a man to life who's been dead for four days? With just the sound of his voice? Jesus doesn't even go in the tomb with Lazarus. He calls him out of the tomb. Remember when when Jesus healed the blind man and he made mud and he rubbed it on the blind man's face? He doesn't even touch him here. He raises a dead man to life without even having to lay a hand on him. And this story has been used to give the same message of hope since it was first told. And I think we need to hear that message of hope today. And it's, it's not rocket science. The seventh sign is Jesus calling a dead man from the tomb. The hope is that in the same way, Jesus calls us from the tomb. I mean, this story is a reminder for us, a blatant reminder that with Jesus, death is not the end. With Jesus, darkness never wins. With Jesus, there is always light. There's always hope. I just needed to hear that this week. I needed to read a story that reminded me of that simple truth this week. Because to be honest, this is one of those passages in Scripture that really preaches itself almost. I mean, come on, Jesus, he raises, he, it's a resurrection story. Jesus says to Martha that he is the resurrection and the life, and then he proves it. Like almost a few verses later. But I don't want us to miss what Jesus does leading up to that moment of resurrection, leading up to that moment of calling Lazarus from the grave. Because I, I think if we, if we miss it, we might not be in a place to receive that good news today like I think 
we should. Which is why I want to call us back to the conversation that Martha has with Jesus, which starts in verse 20. So I'm going to throw it up on the screen, or you can read along in your pew Bibles, whatever, whatever you would prefer. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him while Mary stayed at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother wouldn't have died. But even now I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. And Jesus said to her, your brother will rise again. And Martha said to him, I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, will live. And everyone who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. This is the word of God for the people of God, and we say together, thanks be to God. Martha's brother has died at this point. The wave of grief and sorrow and, and, and everything else that comes with an experience like that is, is, is really just beginning to crest in her heart. I mean, she's on the front end of all of those emotions. And she goes out to meet Jesus because she just can't wait any longer to see him. And the first thing that she does is something that I think we all do when we face something that's painful or something that causes us to, causes us to suffer or causes us to question. She starts to analyze the past. Did you catch that? She walks up to Jesus and the first thing out of her mouth is, if only. That's what she says. If only you had been here, Jesus, then my brother wouldn't have died. Jesus, if, if only. And so in, mixed into that statement is a really hard question, isn't it? Why, Lord? Why weren't you here? Why did this happen? Why'd you let this happen to my family? Why'd you let this happen to him? Where were you? We called for you three days before he died, and, and you, weren't, you weren't here. If, if only you had been here. And she doesn't ask it out of a place of doubt. She asks it out of a place of deep faith because the very next thing out of her mouth is, but even I know that God will give you whatever you ask of him. She's not asking out of a place of doubt. She's asking out of a place of just trying to make sense of what happened because she knows who Jesus is and yet her brother has still died. And Jesus tries to offer hope. He says, your brother will rise again. And notice what Martha does. She goes from living in the past and analyzing the if only and asking the what if questions to suddenly living in the distant future, the last day, as she puts it. Did you catch that? It's like it's whiplash almost. She goes from the if only to the last day, to the, to the judgment day. So we know that when Jesus says this to her, he's talking about this day, that her brother will rise today. And, and Martha assumes that Jesus is talking about the last day. And so she says, well, I know that, Jesus. I know that he will rise again in the resurrection on the last day. And I, I just think we do this too. I think sometimes we follow Martha's trajectory in the face of pain and loss. I think we start off by analyzing the past and playing the what-if game, and, and we think about what we could have done or could have said or could have tried or what someone else could have done or said or tried, and if only it had been different, and if only this hadn't have happened. 
And then once we can't do that anymore, once, once reality begins to, to set in with, with whatever it is that's causing us, causing us pain, I think a lot of the time we move to the distant future, just like Martha does. We try to make what happened, or I, I, I try to make what happened hurt just a little bit less by setting my sights on the distant future. I tell my stuff like, I know it'll be okay in the end. I know it'll all work out. And in a way, I think that's what, what Martha's doing here, right? She, she's dismissing her pain that she's feeling in the present by trying to focus on the last day, trying to focus on when she knows it'll be okay. And I think both of those responses are human responses to pain. I think we're going to do that. I don't think we have any control over those two responses. We're going to go to the past and we're going to go to the future. And I think as long as we don't stay in those places, then there's nothing wrong with it. I don't think there's anything wrong with briefly living in the past, just like Martha does, and briefly drifting to the future, just like we see Martha do here. But I, I don't think we should stay in either one of those places. And the reason I say that is because Jesus doesn't let Martha stay in either one of those places. He doesn't let her stay in the past, and he doesn't let her stay in the future. Instead, he pulls her to the present. For some reason, I, I picture Martha like out of breath, having just made this journey to Jesus, maybe walking or running as fast as she could, and, and she gets there and she begins to talk a little bit faster than then she's thinking, her thoughts are bouncing around her head and she's bouncing from the past to the future. She's trying to make sense of her loss and of her grief and of her pain. And in the midst of that, I just picture Jesus putting his hand on her shoulder and just trying to bring her back to earth, just bring her back to the present moment. And, And he says this, Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. Those who believe in me, even though they die, they'll, they'll live. And everyone who believes in me will never die. Jesus pulls her back to the present. Jesus doesn't say, you're right, Martha, he will rise on the last day because I will be the resurrection and the life. He says, no, I am. I am the resurrection and the life. I am right now and I will be then. I was struck by that this week, that Jesus pulls Martha into the present. And I don't think that's the only place that Jesus does that in this story. I began to notice that the way Jesus practices presence around the death of Lazarus and leading up to that resurrection moment is really pretty, is pretty amazing. It's what I began to be most drawn to this week as I looked at this story more and more. It's, it's how I began to view his weeping that he does when the crowd shows up. If you opened up commentaries and tried to figure out why Jesus wept, you would watch people argue over why they think that Jesus weeps here. Some people think it's because he needed to show his humanity. Some people think it's because he really was sad and grieving. Some people think it's because he was angry. The question is, why does Jesus weep if he knows that he's about to raise Lazarus from the dead? And I, I don't know what the answer is. I don't think anybody really knows what the answer is. But I think part of the answer to why Jesus wept is because he was present. He was present. 
When Jesus encounters a crowd full of family and other Jews who are grieving and weeping and crying in the wake of death and loss, what does Jesus do? He steps into that moment with them, doesn't he? It moves him, it disturbs him, and it leads him to weep with them. Jesus cries with the grieving family. And I just think there is something so powerful about that moment of presence that Christ had with them. Jesus encounters a bunch of folks that have a really, really good reason to be sad. And he is just sad with them for a moment. He could have said, stop crying and follow me to the tomb. Or he could have tried to explain away their pain or remind them what Martha had already said, that on the last day he will rise, that one day it'll be okay, even if it's not okay now. But he didn't do any of that, did he? Instead, he just, he just cried with them. And then eight verses later, Lazarus is raised from the dead. So where I found myself this week was wondering where Jesus is calling us to be present. I wonder where Jesus is calling us, where he's calling, where he's calling you and me to just, just be present in the moment so that we don't miss the hope and the resurrection and the new life that I believe is right in front of us here and now. Because just like Martha, I think Jesus is trying to pull us back to the present so that we'll see, so that we'll see with, with, with clear eyes what he's doing right now in our lives so that we realize the present hope that we have in him, so that we don't miss Jesus trying to call us out of the tomb. So how can we be more present? How can we grow in that realization? How, how can we stop living so much in the past or in the future and instead join Jesus in the present moment? I really wrestled with that this week. And to be honest, I, I struggled to come away with a good practical landing to all of this. And then it, it kind of hit me like a ton of bricks. And I realized the answer to that question for us, where we find ourselves right now, is Lent. I think that's how. I think the season of Lent is the answer to that question for us, at least, at least in part. The season of Lent leading up to Easter is meant to be a season of preparation. Preparation for the cross, preparation for, for the suffering and the death of Jesus. But we're also preparing for the empty tomb, preparing for the resurrection, and preparing for the hope that comes with that, for that hope to burst forth into the world yet again. So how do we prepare for that? Well, in the season of Lent, we prepare for that by doing our very, very best to try and be present. To try and be present for 40 days. That's why we fast during this season. We give up stuff like foods that we like or, or social media or things that distract us, stuff that fills our time but we know isn't really necessary so that we can be present, so that we can cultivate a practice of presence over 40 days so that come Holy Week, we're in a position spiritually to walk through that and be present and be in the moment and travel that journey to the cross with Jesus. We kick that season off on Wednesday, this Wednesday, with something called Ash Wednesday, where, where we spend some time laying the foundation for Lent, for that season of presence, by re reflecting on our own mortality, reflecting on our own sinfulness, and just reminding ourselves of our need for Jesus and our need for his saving power in our life. 
we rub ashes on our forehead to remind ourselves that if it wasn't for the breath of God within us, we would be just like those ashes, that we need God for our, for our life, for the breath in our lungs. So I, I wonder what you need to do. I wonder how you need to orient yourself this season of Lent so that you will be present, so that you'll begin to cultivate a practice of presence, so that maybe you'll hear Jesus and see Jesus sometime over these next 40 days, so that when we hit Holy Week, you'll be ready to make that journey to the cross. I wonder what you need to let go of over these 40 days. I wonder what you need to be willing to leave behind for just a short period of time. I wonder, I wonder what's, what's keeping you from leaning into what God is doing here and now, what God is calling you towards in the presence. Because I think when we can get there, I, I think when we can be present, I really do believe this, that just like Lazarus, we'll hear Jesus calling us out of the darkness. We'll hear Jesus calling us out of the tomb to experience the abundance and the hope and the love and the new life and the light that he has for us here and now. Hear the words of hope from our Savior. I am, I am right now the resurrection and the life. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning in to our message this week in The Gathering. I hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. Of course, you're welcome to join us any week at 10 a.m. on Sundays, either here in this space or on our live stream for worship. And of course, you can check us out on our website at www.bluffparkumc.org to find out more about who we are as a church, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of that. Feel free to reach out and contact us with any questions or concerns you may have. We'd love to hear from you. We hope you have a great week, and we'll see you next time.